1: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, all the fallout from the final round of the 2022 MotoGP World Championship, the Tuesday test day. Bit of Moto 2, Moto 3, and our off season plans to. The recording date is Friday, the eleventh of November. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewen. And I suppose apologies to start off with, we know we're a bit late. We know that. Scheduling testing. I'm doing electric scooters. It's a, Keith's worst nightmare. Pete was in Valencia, but he's got all the latest testing news. We're here now, and that's what counts. Um, and let's chat, shall we? Uh, the elephant in the room, I suppose. Peko world champion.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's an elephant in a room. It's just uh, it's out. It, it, it went the way it should have gone, but not quite the way we thought it might. At the end of the day, I think we're late on a Friday because we did ours from the pub on Sunday. Uh, The good old stirrup cup in Kettering was where we all spent our time full house of of revelers, if you like. It had a sort of football atmosphere to it as well. Half a dozen monitors and everybody stopped that wasn't a MotoGP fan was watching the MotoGP because, I mean, if we talk about the MotoGP race and a major on the MotoGP race, what an opening couple of laps. They were just throwing it at each other. You know, brilliant from, from everybody's point of view. I mean, I think everybody did everything they could do. At the end of the day. And if you'd written a script, you would have had Suzuki win in the final round in their final ever race, which they did. Um, I've got to say it was quite sad when I saw some of the photographs coming from the paddock the day after on the Monday, that gap that was in the in the back of the garages where the Suzuki trucks used to be, because everyone else was obviously staying on for the Tuesday test, including Pete, but Suzuki had pulled out. That was the last time we were ever going to see them for the foreseeable future. And I've got to say that having made the decision to come out of the sport um i doubt we will see them back for some for many many moons but the actual MotoGP race was outstanding and spending it in a pub if you can find a pub that shows MotoGP—that gp that is the way to watch the final round
0: it looked like you had the best seat in the house as well you were there from about 8 8 a.m in the morning i was
1: you? no no i i turned up early i turned up early because I, I thought i'll take my i'll take my notepad with me just to make because i thought we're doing this on a friday i'm I'm going to be drinking. You won't
0: remember what happened. Exactly. I'm going to be drinking.
1: I'm of a certain age. I need to write all this down. But of course, what happens when you're out there with your mates? You should see my paperwork. It has got insults written over it. It has got edited points on it. Uh, I, was, I sat with on a table with Bertie Simmons, a, a journo and a well-known joker, who turned up with his hair all over the place. It looked like he'd just been dragged through a hedge backwards. He looked like he was already been down the pub for a week, let alone when we got there. But it, I mean, from... When I got there, at half past eight, there was there was nothing going on, obviously, and I, I tweeted a few pictures out of the pub. Um, but then it just kicked off. Moto three. I mean, it was John McPhee's final round. Um, he goes off, leaves the MotoGP paddock in a very, very. I mean, I'm sorry for jumping forward, Ari. I know you'll go there, but but when he was interviewed down on the grid, he was in tears. You know, it, it, this. The thing is with television, racing atmosphere personalities everything gets crushed down almost to a two-dimensional thing but every now and again it breaks through doesn't it it hits you in the face and John McPhee you know long in the tooth perhaps now for Moto3 but a man that's dedicated his entire life to being in that paddock from a boy from the earliest age you can think of and it kind of hit me in the heart as well because I remember what it was like in my situation when you leave the paddock it hurts it is a real stinger but you don't kind of get that at home. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, John McPhee's moving on to, you know, World Supersport or wherever he's going. Um, but it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I thought that the weekend at Valencia, despite the fact Valencia is a sort of passion killer for me as a, of a racetrack, there was still a huge amount of passion and a huge amount of nuances here and there that you kind of went, wow. You know, and John McPhee was one of them for me. I mean, anybody who didn't, didn't get stung in the heart with that one um, hasn't got a heart.
0: Mm. Well, as you say, we will we'll come on more on Moto three. Yeah, but it, it was a, it was a a great weekend uh, to to watch uh, on the TV for us. But Pete, you were actually there, weren't you? I think it was your picture uh, that that went viral on Twitter of, of that gap uh, where Suzuki once were after they'd all packed up and gone. I mean, what what was the atmosphere like? Because I mean, Alex Rins winning the perfect sort of swan song for Suzuki and I think everybody in the paddock including most of the Suzuki team members actually there are just asking themselves why the hell are we leaving <laughs> exactly Harry isn't it it's,
2: it's what we were saying after Philip Island doubled isn't it of just what a waste you know Where Alex Rins winning there and now he's done it again and and as Keith says you know not only John McPhee in tears it sounds like Alex Rins on the grid was also in tears you know saying goodbye to everybody and and everything else so to put Every all that into a into focus and blast from fifth to first at the first corner and ride the perfect race. I mean, fantastic from Rins just mentally as much as anything else.
1: Joe Amir, like he said that that you know he still doesn't understand it. He still doesn't get to the bottom of it at all. I mean, uh, I was slightly annoyed at the television actually. I know there was so much going on. You almost needed two split screens, didn't you, with what was going on with the with the actual racing between quadraro and and. And uh, some bloke called Peko Bengnaia. But, but we kind of missed out on Suzuki being out in front quite a lot, which was a which was a bit of a shame. They, they woke up a bit later on in the race and uh, gave him the kind of just uh, coverage. Just about.
0: I think there's a lot of joking being like, if Suzuki wanted any sort of swan song video footage, they weren't going to get it because it wasn't on the screen. Because <laughs> naturally, Pete, everybody was was following the Peco Bagnaia and, and also Fabio Quattro at one point looking like he was he was doing everything he could to try and, and keep hold of his championship to become, you know, a two-time champion. Obviously, he had to win outright, but Pecco had to be sort of near the bottom end of the points for him to even stand a chance. But Peco was sort of falling down the field, sort of, you know, one, one rider per lap, really, and getting involved in quite a few scrapes, contact early doors with Fabio as well. Yeah, it, I mean, on paper, it shouldn't have been as tense as it actually
2: turned out to be, should it? It was a bit of a formality, really. I mean, Pekko just having to finish, even if Quattroaro won in the top 14, should you know he could do that with his eyes closed and running backwards? But put in all that pressure and the significance of the weekend, not just for Pekko, the whole of Ducati, I think it was Zarco after the race, sort of admitted it's been a tense weekend at Ducati. I mean, Zarco obviously in the Pramac team, even he was feeling it. You know, they've waited so long for this moment, and uh, you know, there is that pressure that builds up. You can you can tell yourself it's not there and you can say, you know, it's just another race, but it really isn't. I mean, it was a, a massive weekend for Peko, for, for the team, for everybody. A lot of fans as well. Keith mentioned the atmosphere. I mean, we were surprised. Even Saturday was nearly full. You know, you're looking out, as Keith says, it's just it's a big concrete jungle. You know, So from the media room, you can see all around the track. And it was just almost full on Saturday. Sunday, I think, was sold out 90,000 plus. So it does just show probably what these kind of title deciders do for the fans and how they engage people. You're talking about people going down the pub, all of it. it. It adds something, doesn't it? Even when the maths is against any kind of real upset, it's still got that something extra, isn't it? Having a having a title decided at the final round.
1: And the fact that you've got all the manufacturers that were in it. I mean, Brad Binder a second place in the final round. I mean, like you've got to say, KTM, Suzuki winning, KTM second place. I mean, just have a bit of that. I can't wait till... Uh, Miller, 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 Miller. I mean, he ought to have his own show. I mean, he is an absolute rock star, isn't he? Just... The, the fun and go, I should think probably seventy percent of the clips that came out of Valencia over the, the weekend had Miller in them. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't riding a forklift round in a circle with, the, you know, everything that happened and when they they tied him up and dumped him down at the KTM camp yeah. and, and the crew chief as well just stuck handcuffs on him and, and you just wonder. I mean, I can imagine the Italian sense of humor, you know, really enjoying Jack Miller. But I kind of questioned a little bit whether the Austrian sense of humor is slightly more slightly more straight, I think, than than um, they're pro- perhaps uh, depicted as. So we'll see how Miller gets on there from from that. Whether it's going to be a shock to the system for them when Jack starts playing up and having a bit of a giggle. But what a team that's going to be! Brad Binder and Jack Miller in KTM next year. I can't wait for that.
0: Well, Miller will make a great TV pundit one day, won't he? When eventually he stops. You have to have a uh, until then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be brilliant. That would be TV gold. Um, but uh, it was—it was actually, uh, you know, as as Pete says, yeah, more tense than we actually thought it would be. But I mean, we, we've spoken about it before. Just coming back to Banyaya, looking at the, the the big stats, you know, overcoming a ninety-one point deficit to Fabio quattararo you know, the the first rider with five DNFs to, in a season to become a champion, bringing the Ducati, uh, bringing a world championship back to Ducati since Casey Stoner. Uh, I found it interesting though, Keith, that. Bagnaia has said quite openly that it was mistakes during the early stages of, of this season that made him understand that actually he had a bit of an issue. He, he was a, he was fast, but he admitted he had no consistency. I, I, I would suppose you
1: agree with that. I do, and he's a clever fella. I think he's a young fella. He's a clever fella. He's worked his way through it. Quattararo, by contrast, you know had more mistakes, and 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 the Yamaha, I'm glad we're going to get onto the test in a minute with Pete because there's so much to talk about regarding the test and a lot of unhappy people moving forward. I think Ducati are in a perfect position at the minute. Bastianini was a bit under the radar as well at the weekend. I mean, I would have expected him to have performed a, a little better than perhaps he did at, at Valencia, but it's a funny place, Valencia. They got lucky this year with the weather. We had consistent weather all the way through, and, and apart from the you know, first thing in the morning where it was a bit chilly, it was clear it was clean, the track cleaned up during the course of the weekend. They got quite lucky with that, perhaps. But I can see, now that we've... We, we always used to talk about aliens, didn't we? I mean, there were certain aliens out of the top guys. Marquez was one of them. Lorenzo, Casey Stoner, going back a bit further. You can go back further than that if you like. But these guys are absolutely stood out, That did things with their motorbike that no one else seemed to have been able to do. With the latest aero and with the the ride height adjustments and all the bits and seamless gearboxes, if you go back a little bit for a lot of that has been dialed out now. It's all everybody is riding within a second. If you look at the test, you know, everyone now all the top guys down to something 17th, 18th place are within a second. You know, everywhere you go, you know, you've got a full on field that was so close and I can see it getting closer and closer and closer with the way the regulations are. And no one is able to sort of steal a march at the moment with this engineering bloody uh, situation where it all has to be done by the the first round of the year. sorry to bang on about it again. We're going to end up with Yamaha perhaps not in a best place, with Honda not in a great place. And so it's going to be, you know, somebody's going to be winning in the early rounds and someone's going to be, and it's going to be a much tighter championship I can see moving forward as it has been this year. It's almost like everybody's been trying to give it to the other person, you know, Quattararo couldn't quite put it together in the second half. Bang Nair absolutely nailed it. Now I, you know, he's going to come out of the box next year with with a motorbike that works, with a new teammate that's going to be pushing him really hard. I think mean, Bastianini's going to be a, a difficult teammate to have. The atmosphere is going to be different in the in the Ducati factory camp now that Jack's moved over to KTM. We'll see how it all pans out, but I can see another very very close year. And Aprilia, Aprilia. I mean. <laughs> Just looking again at the test, I can't wait to get to the test part of it because you know you, you, it's been a bit of a shock to the system for some you know, new rider right up there, you know, first test, got on the Aprilia, which for me is an indicator of just how good the Aprilia is—that it's a motorbike that you can ride, you know, jump on it, perform well in Valencia, not an easy racetrack, um, in a one-off test. We can't wait to see what Aprilia does next year. But yeah,
0: we well, you know what? back
1: to what you said, Alastair Bargro. Basically, imploded for him. You talked about Pekka Bengnaya, you know, making making moves in the second half of the season. But Aprilia just couldn't quite put it together, could they? They had technical issues, you know, little mistakes here and there. And it cost them third place in the championship in the end.
0: And we know, Pete, that Aleish is an emotional guy. <laughs> He 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 lets
2: you know what he's thinking, doesn't he? Yeah, and and good on him for that. I have to say, I think I think it's I know that people say ah, oh, he maybe shouldn't be so hard on the team or we'll say this or that, but if that's what he's thinking, then I think you know he, why not? I mean, and that as you say, he didn't just lose third in the championship. They pretty a lost second in the constructors and second in the teams championship. Total nightmare of a race, uh, with both Alish and Vinales having those technical problems. I think Elise was something to do with the fuel supply. Uh, Maverick was the something to, on the front of the bike. We never. Had, really got a clear explanation but so both i mean even if even if maverick was the only one that finished that probably would have been enough to get them the few points they needed to to keep second in the world championship the constructors away from yamaha instead it was all yeah it, across the board nightmare day for them um yeah really hard for them i mean it's a, it's a tough one who deserves third in the championship more bastionini with all those wins or a lace you can make a case for either couldn't you all four of the guys really in the in the championship have are worthy in one way or another aren't they it's it's been that sort of season normally normally it's pretty clear that the guy who wins the world championship we've got so used to it is usually the standout guy of the season this year we've had surprises all over the place then you can make an argument for any of the top 4 of really being the star of the year
0: you totally can um i mean What an end, actually, to a season, which started, I think we could all say a bit underwhelming compared to 2021, which was full of excitement and and each round. But I think 2022 delivered in the end for sure. Um, Let's move on to testing then, because I know Keith is desperate. Um, And actually, before that, I think I said Bagnai is the first Ducati world champion since Casey Stoner in 2015. I meant it 15 years ago. Um, So before you'll come at me in the comments. Um, Right. Pete, you were there at testing that's why we delayed this whole thing and and then i went to france but uh we you were you, you were in uh, valencia for the testing obviously you've already alluded to it new riders uh, at aprilia ktm honda all change uh, new liveries some unlivery new bits and bobs uh, give us the rundown what what things did you uh, pick out most So so I guess just
2: to set the scene, as you say, there was about nine riders, weren't there, that were changing bikes, if you count Bastianini and things like that, Augusto Fernandez coming in. The guys that were changing teams, they are, of course, still under contract to their previous teams, if you like, until the end of December. So they weren't allowed to speak to us, unfortunately. That's just always the way it is. Uh, You might have seen some comments that they gave to motorgp.com, but that was all they were allowed to do. The big thing is they're never allowed to compare bikes. I don't know why, but manufacturers are always worried that they're going to you know, well, I suppose reasonably get on the new bike and say, oh, it's so much better than that thing I was riding this year. So they're not allowed to do that. But even in the case of guys like the ex-Suzuki riders, they weren't allowed to speak. And you think, well, what's going on there? They're not even going to, Suzuki's not even going to be in MotoGP next year, but they, yeah. So Mir and Rins didn't didn't come to see us, the media, for the normal debriefs. But the other guys staying with their teams did. So, uh, and the big news from those was obviously, and Keith alluded to this, guys like Mark Marquez really not being happy with what honda brought and fabio also being extremely surprised to find this new engine that had been doing so well up to this point and that cal had tested the latest version of only a week earlier at jerez suddenly it's no faster on the straights and and they they didn't understand why and it was morbidelli found the same thing as well no explanation really other than that something strange had happened now is it setting up the engine the electronics something who knows but i mean. It's, it's a big blow for them. I mean, Quattro, admitted, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. You can't not be when you, you know, the things have been looking so positive And now suddenly that's it. That's the one day of testing now until uh, Sepang in, in February. So, yeah, big surprise for him that, 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 that the one thing that it, the, the engine looked like it had. And I spoke to Cal earlier in the weekend and he was, you know, he's adamant. It's, it's got more power. So the, the bit that Cal's not sure about is the grip side. Because the trouble is that with all these tests, they occur after the race. Or the tests so far, let's say, with Quartararo and Morbidelli, the race riders, have been after race weekend. So loads of tyre grip, which is where the Yamaha is actually quite strong anyway. If, if the track's got a lot of grip, it goes okay. Where they struggle is when it's low grip. And, and obviously, Cal's, when he's testing, he quite often has low grip. So he's actually in a better position to evaluate the engine. But the one thing Cal was sure about is it's got more power. You know, you can kind of tick that box. Um, I interviewed Lynn Jarvis earlier in the weekend, and, and he also was saying this, uh, you know, th- they were sure about the power side. So, and then suddenly, where's it gone? So, big question mark there for Yamaha to sort of sort out what's happened there. Um, with Marquez, he had, I mean, it sounded like sort of small changes, but as he, as he made clear, it wasn't enough. Now, you have to say, Mark, he, you know that he's been around long enough. And he knows how to keep pressure on a factory. That's the other side. You know, if you come out and go, "Oh, this bike is fantastic," it, everyone takes their foot off the gas. Let's say, uh, uh, you know, and so he knows that the best. You don't you don't do that in testing. If you're a rider, you don't say this bike is fine. Everybody pack up and let's go to the first race now. You've got to keep the momentum, you know the pressure on the factory to squeeze as much out of them as you can. Now, I'm not saying that that the bike was fantastic and that's what Mark was doing, but I think. There's always an element of that, that he, you know, after these three years of Honda really struggling, he doesn't want any risk of them thinking that the problems are solved if they're not. But clearly, I mean, he, he spelt it out. He said, look, this bike will not, as it is now, this prototype, if you like, will not win the championship next year. We need more than this. There's, there's no question about it. So, wasn't the only one disappointed? Aprilia. We didn't get to speak to Aleish or uh, Maverick because it sounds like there weren't really any new parts for them. However, as Keith uh, alluded to there, there was a new guy on the Aprilia, Miguel Oliveira, who, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic debut. I saw Raslin in the airport just before I flew out, just for a quick chat before he, he went to his plane. And, yeah, you know, the, the team are really, really happy with how Miguel jumped on that bike. Remember, the Yamahas literally wheeled out Sunday night. The Aprilias come in. Um, Raslin was saying, you know, even things like the fuel filler doesn't fit the same. The, the, the bike stand. you know, Everything is different, totally different on these bikes. And Miguel goes out there and is quick. I mean, you know, they say you shouldn't judge too much, but we've seen in the past when guys are quick for their first time on a bike, it it is a good sign.
1: I tell you what, there's nothing quite like a default setup that works for a rider, that's for sure. And as a rider, that is just heaven sent. When you ride, you kick your leg over the bike, everything's in disarray. Nobody quite knows what's going on. I mean, I love this gentleman's agreement there is between the manufacturers. The fact that they're allowing their riders to to jump on a bike that's next year while they're still contracted to the current team that they're in anyway is, is, is amazing because there's all sorts of things. You don't want a rider to be too technically involved because they can, bearing in mind they're still under contract with their current team, give information to that current team if they're picking up any sort of... Information from their new team and their new manufacturer that can bleed back across. So this, this, can you imagine it in Formula One being allowed to go? I don't, I don't think they do allow to go testing in a, a McLaren if you're a Mercedes driver before you're out of contract. You know, there's all sorts of non-disclosure agreements that have to go out, NDAs flying around everywhere. So it's always pretty impressive how they do that. The the situation regarding the upgrades is frightening for me. I mean, you know, to be a fly on the wall back at the factory. I mean, I would think it's a pretty nerve-wracking place to be, to be a factory technician, a factory engineer at the moment, with how close, every, how do you find a couple of tenths of a second now, even out of a place like Valencia? You know, you could pay, pay or develop millions and millions of pounds worth of stuff. I can understand why Aprilia perhaps didn't have anything new for, for this test, because the lead-in for engineering is too long. It's so long, it takes a long time to develop, you know, something significantly different. And if you go down the wrong road, you are completely, you know, kibosh for next year. You're, you know, if you've gone the wrong way at this time of the year, by the time the engineering, the, the, the train of, of engineering comes out in, in February when we all go testing again later on next year, it could be a disaster. I, I, I still, I mean, I bang on about it all the time. Why do we have this cutoff at the first round next year? Why are the manufacturers not campaigning to get a little bit more leeway regarding what they can bring to a track. in Okay, I can understand why they don't want more test time because that's very, very costly. You can travel around the world to somewhere where you're expected to walk, be warm and you can have a monsoon in, in Sepang or, wherever, or Thailand or wherever you might go expecting a dry track and it to be of a reasonable temperature. <clears throat> so I can understand why they might not want to add to that budget. We're going to be 21 Grand Prix next year. You know, know, people are going to be frazzled by the end of the year anyway. So if you had a load more test days, like there used to be in the old days where you'd go off tyre testing or whatever it was, you know, teams are going to be worn out. Personnel are going to be leaving. There's going to be all sorts of trouble if that happens. But just allow them to test new bits during a race weekend, you know, for a a few weekends of of the early part of the season. If we've got 21 rounds coming on, make the cut off, you know, three rounds in or something and, and get those tests done. And from a fan's perspective, it will give us something more at the beginning of the year. It will give you know, publications, television, everybody that little extra bit at the beginning of the year, that little extra boost at the beginning of the year to see who's going to turn it around um, after testing perhaps on a motorbike that doesn't work perfectly in the, on the Tuesday of the, the preceding year. Is it, is it just
0: the Sepang test
1: left for them before, before racing starts? Uh,
2: there
0: will be one at Portimao. And so, and so, how many more days do they actually have before racing starts? I think starts? it's only five
2: days. Yeah. I think Sepang is three, and and Portimao is only two. Yeah, but one of
1: those, so, one of those days at Sepang is a shakedown test, isn't it? It's not the factory boys.
0: Uh, there's a shakedown test as well oh, okay. those. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, throughout, I suppose throughout motorsport testing time is becoming less and less, you know, keeping costs down and things like that over the last few years. But you're right, you know, next year is going to be action-packed, or not action-packed, just jam-packed, because you've got sprints as well to think about, these sprint races that are coming in, plus trying to fit in Moto2 and Moto3. I know they've scrapped Moto3 warm-up, haven't they, to to make room for for just more space on on the timetable. So uh, the work really has well begun for these riders from from this only one Tuesday test. There's just no time. How much can they actually do over the winter now to to prepare for their uh, on-track
1: test? You've just wanged the Nail on the head there, Harry. You know, you're going to have two different motorbikes. You're going to have a you're going to have a bloody uh, a Saturday sprint race bike. Eventually, what will happen is is you're going to have a bike that, that two different setups that are going to work over a short period where they can afford to use up tires more. The the way that they use up a motorcycle or a car, whatever it is, you're going to have a you know a sprint car, a sprint bike, and then a long race bike where perhaps tire wear wise you can't afford to to, to have it adjusted in the manner that you're having it adjusted at for the sprint race and slowly, but surely that will evolve over the course of the year. You know, sprint race bike will be exactly the same as a normal race bike come, you know, Saturday, Sunday, the first couple of rounds, but you can be absolutely sure these guys will develop a strategy for each race. And that means a suspension strategy, a, a power delivery strategy. Everything will, will be slightly different between the sprint race and and the the real race so there's a lot of work these guys have got to do next year massive amount
0: well it was uh Luca Marini who ended up fastest uh in the final test uh on the Mooney VR46 Ducati a 1 minute 30 ahead of Vignale's Bezecchi, as we say Oliveira up there in fourth uh ahead of Aleish Aspargro. so Aprilia looking uh, looking good come just a little look forward to next year as well with Pecco and, and Ducati but we also, and, and we're also seeing, you know, struggles for Yamaha already in testing. Mark Marquez not happy in Honda. I, I'm fearful. Should we be fearful of a bit of a a Peco Ducati
1: walkover? No, I think fearful is the wrong word. I think we're going to be excited. I don't think Peko's is going to walk over okay. next year. I think we're going to have a similar situation to this year where, yeah, okay. He starts off the season as the world champion. That's pressure straight away. To win a world championship, in my view, is easier than retaining it. You know, retaining world championships, world titles. I, I've always been a, a, I've always said it's a three-year rule. You know, it's a, it's a. The first year is is you're running on adrenaline, everything you 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 work towards that world title. You might win the world title. Second year, retaining it is quite hard work. It's the third year. You know, if you're still there in the third year, then you you've got that kind of quality to be a multiple world champion. Um, it's not easy. There's no doubt about it. He needs. One slip off, twist of the wrist, bang of the knee early on in testing. Whatever it might be, there are so many elements that can ruin a, a rider's a rider's year. Yeah, he had momentum in the second half of the year, um, but it's a whole new ball game next year. And I think that I don't know what Ducati can do any more than they've already done. I mean, I just what can Gigi dream up for that bike next year? And there's going to be some changes that have come in as well, technical-wise, that, that is going to alter the way that the bikes are are going to launch and the way they're going to be next year. It's going to be very interesting. I don't think it's over with Yamaha yet. I think that you've, you've touched on it already over testing that Honda and Yamaha had something previously, but it's not there at the Valencia test. Um, it hasn't just disappeared up in smoke somewhere. You know Something somewhere, when they download the data after Valencia, um, they'll, they'll find where that performance went. Um, Honda make a fast motorbike. You know, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what the situation is. Valencia, is it, is it representative of the rest of the year? Probably not. I mean, I think that if they're talking straight line speed, you know, Valencia's got a long straight, so they, they will have been able to evaluate, you know, that, 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 that if it wasn't performing as good in a straight line as it had been previously, then uh, where did it bloody go? Um, they'll, they'll be looking at that now.
0: Lots
2: to One manufacturer that did have a load of new parts, we should say, is KTM. This year, you know, we saw the bike didn't change a great deal. Well, uh, you know, Brad Binder, who, who obviously could speak to us, saying with the team, we couldn't speak to Jack, but Brad Binder was saying, yeah, you know, he had a ton of things to test. He had a new chassis during the race weekend, and he had another one at the test that seemed to sort of be in the opposite direction. So it, um, they they got to sort of find the bits. He liked the chassis at the, in the race weekend, obviously. As Keith says, he came within, what, 0. 0.3 of, of winning the race. Unfortunately for Binder, it's the first year in motor gp he hasn't won a race but he's got pretty close hasn't he a couple of times so yeah you'll have to carry that uh, that motivation into next year now but yeah he was he was really pleased with all the work that's gone on with ktm as you say you know they've had this year where they've sort of been working on setup and tweaking and understanding what they need and it seems like basically bits of everything a new engine every you know a whole package he said it was the, the tricky bit was when he was being asked about the bike was trying to sort of separate each bit up because as he said he he tried it all as a package as just a a whole new bike um as he says the trouble with valencia is lap times are always really really close there you you know you can probably double the gaps for a normal track so it does give this sort of false sense of how close everybody is a little bit um it, it is a bit of a strange one but they were lucky as he says also great weather because if that if it had been quite often you get rain at valencia um and things like that and that would have ruined the day but um but yeah there was a lot of things on track a lot of things going on marini uh, we should say he's staying he's staying with the same bike so he's still on the 22 bike that's what he's racing with next year he's hoping to do a Bastianini. basically i spoke to him at the end of the test and uh, you know he, he said well look you know Bastianini got some upgrades this year so even though he was on a year-old bike you know ducati supported him because he was winning races and doing well so he said that's what i need to do and then he sort of paused and smiled and said so i just need to beat the factory team on a year-old bike, and then they'll give me new parts. So that's all I've got to do.
0: <laughs> Easy. Simple as that. Nice, nice from Luca. Um, I tell you what, though, we've had a lot of um, questions and comments over the last couple of weeks that are, that have been building up. Um, and we've, we've spoken about it a little bit, but now we are actually are at the end of the season uh, about Frankie Morbidelli. Um, and I've seen that he he's sort of backing up what Fabio's saying about the, these engine fears, uh, at Yamaha, but uh, obviously... He's had a poor season. There's no denying that. Compared to his teammate, but Fabio seems like something a bit special on that Yamaha too. But Keith, I mean, next year is this Morbidelli's last year if he carries on the way he is. A hundred
1: percent. There's no, <laughs> there's no doubt about that, that. That he'll be looking for a new job at the end of the year if he has another year like he's had here. Um, you know, will he capitulate halfway through the year if he has a year like he's had this year? We'll wait and see. It's, you know, it's a long time coming. You know, testing for next year and the like. But. I he has been disappointing, hasn't he? I mean, I don't think that, you know, even he wouldn't argue against that. Yeah. I, would, I would think he's in turmoil to try and make it work. Okay, he might have had a bit of an opportunity to blame the bike a bit, but it's even worse when you've got, like you've already said, Quattararo, who's done so well, you know, and makes the Yamaha work. Um, they've got work to do at the factory Yamaha team. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they get around it during next year, but, I mean, they're, they're not starting from a strong position. Quattararo is their asset, there's no doubting it, but they've got to give him, you know, the fact that he actually already has said that he's unhappy, you know, the fact that's out there after the first test is slightly scary, to be honest with you. I mean, that, for me, you mentioned earlier on about um, Mark Marquez, you know, he, he wouldn't let the, he, he wouldn't tell everyone that he's got the, a rocket ship of a motorbike because that that keeps the engineers on their toes. Well, the fact that Quattararo has already said that Yamaha is not, he hasn't got what he wants. Um, I think that's a massive smack in the teeth for the engineers back in, in, in the factory. Um, and they've got to get over it, they really have genuinely got to get over that. Work to do, then
0: it seems, over the winter. Um, let's go back uh, to a bit of Moto 3 and Moto 2, shall we, from uh, from Valencia. Um, and if we start with Moto 3, uh, Keith in the pub at 8 a.m., uh, with, with the pint going, uh, for Izan Guevara lead, leading the way uh slipstreamed streamed away from Ontru, um and well and won it
1: yeah um and it was typical atmosphere sapping valencian race wasn't it i'm um, unfortunately the motor three race was exactly what i would normally criticize valencia for it just took all the excitement out of it how can you make a motor three race boring well there we are valencia <laughs> um, which was a great shame, really, because I was really looking forward to it. But even the commentators I've got to say sounded as flat as a pancake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know, like I don't know whether it was I don't know whether they had a night out the night before, but I mean, honestly, it was it was even the commentary was pretty poor. But they didn't have that much to shout about. Um, but all the same, I mean, I think for us, you know, here in in the UK, I mean, the, the Scotsman, you know, his last race in, in Moto three, I think it was quite emotional from that point of view. McPhee, you know, he had an okay ride, but not great. Um, he leaves the sport you know and moves to to world Supersport is is the big rumor but you know 28 years old you're a long time retired in this game and and to be honest with you he will have made a few quid because he's consistently been there or thereabouts in Grand Prix and he's won Grand Prix so he will have had bonus money and the like but but he's now moving into arena where you don't make any money you know in super sport there is no money in Supersport. sport quite a lot of people have to pay to be there now I don't know whether John has done that at all. I'll have to have a word with Michael Laverty because he manages him at the end of the day. But um, it's it's not a money-making exercise where he's going. Now, he could turn up in World Supersport as a 28-year-old and win it. You know, he could do something brilliant in it, and there may be a way back into Moto2 at a later date. We know he's a Grand Prix winner. What's that, four times? You know, at the end of the day, you don't, you don't get them in a crisp packet. You know, it's, a, it's something you have to work bloody hard for. And John has been a Grand Prix winner. So him leaving the paddock will be hard for him. It's hard for the fans. Is there a way back for him? It's going to be tough. You know, Mattia Pasini is, is one of my favourites for, for, for making those comebacks every now and again and being somewhere a front runner. You've got people like him that have been, you know, right up the front, podium men, out of work. Um, it is not an easy place to be. And it is also your livelihood. And John, you know, not only is he leaving the Grand Prix paddock, but he's leaving a pay packet behind, I would imagine, as well, um, uh, of any substantial note. And he's got a, an uphill struggle now moving on. You know, Jake Dixon is still doing the business in, in Moto2. He's in a good position. Um, I looked at the, the list. I mean, mate, it is competitive in Moto3 and Moto2 now. And where that talent is coming from, and they're all pushing you know, to get onto the grid. Tough times for a lot of people.
0: It's a shame for John as well, because he, one point, uh, has just put him out uh, of the top 10. So he've ended up 11th in the standings in the end, which, I mean, small, small things. But, you know, for, for a final, you want to be in the top 10, I suppose. But, well, Guevara um, ending up as the champion, obviously, ahead of Sergio Garcia, Dennis Foggia, Yumu Suzaki uh, and Dennis Onshu at the top five uh, from the uh, Moto3 uh, World championship um, but I suppose it was Moto2 really that uh, we need to shout about isn't it Pete because uh, Pedro Acosta the man actually what we all said and thought at the start this year the way he went about Moto3 well is he going to come into Moto2 and absolutely dominate win didn't quite happen but he did end strong led a controlled race uh, once uh, he took over for uh, the Valencia victory in Moto2 but really the day had to belong to uh, the new champion and uh, soon to be a MotoGP rider Augusto Fernandez uh, second over the line after Ayagura's early exit another painful race uh, for Agura but Fernandez those gold overalls certainly uh, suited him
2: <laughs> yes they had those ready didn't they i mean it, it i mean at one point that it was a 9.5 9.5 point lead. Uh and at one point it was down to almost nothing wasn't it in those early laps with Aguri I mean he went on the attack he did everything he had to do but I mean he paid he was so still paying the, the, the Pang mistake wasn't it I mean without that he he would have been in a much stronger position obviously um and yeah but he did what he needed to do which is attack and and, and try and bridge that gap but yeah just pushed too hard and Danny went and that was it over so yeah I mean he'll certainly uh it's going to take a long time, I think, to get over that last lap at Sepang for a isn't it? And wondering what might have been, because that was that was the real turning point, wasn't it? Um, but as you say, Fernandes, you know, the pressure was off then, wasn't it? And he, he then sort of upped his pace and, and sort of followed his teammate Acosta. Couldn't quite beat him, as you say. It does make you wonder, Acosta, without that mid-season leg-breaking injury. I mean, it, possibly he could have still been in there at the end. Um, R- Rookie of the year. Uh, still top a bit of a five, yeah. There. yeah. Uh, with those early laps with um, with Lopez, wasn't there? I think Lopez had a slim chance, at another rookie race winner this year, uh, of, of stealing the rookie prize. I think, uh, yeah, it got a bit close in some of those corners, didn't it, between the two of them. So, uh, yeah, plenty plenty of fireworks at the final round but um, and sets us up for a great season next year with guys like uh, Acosta and uh, Lopez uh, with a year under their belts. They're going to be tough to beat.
1: Don't forget as well, we lose one Scotsman, but we get a new one. Rory Skinner's in. So um, Rory Skinner for the American racing team next year. So John McPhee out of uh, Grand Prix racing. And a guy that I have to mention because lo- love him or hate him, Romano Fanati is in uh, Moto3 next year. So um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of little points here and there that, that are, that are going to make things uh, interesting. But Rory Skinner. Now there's a kid that wasn't given the chance when we thought he should have been given it after he won the Talent Cup uh series uh dawner for some reason i gave it to the third place guy I, I never quite worked that one out I, it was kind of a, a backhanded thing for, for for them and skinner never got his way through but i wonder whether that that year that he spent back here in britain you know absolutely smashing the pants off everybody in super sport and the like and then he came into a superbike last year whether that that slight delay in his progression has done him good has given him the extra extra weapons he needs to come into moto 2 next year full time going to be very, very interesting to see how he gets on with that. I think the kid's going to go well. I really do. I think the triumph's going to suit him and I think he's going to get on really good. So we lose one Scotsman, but we get another one.
0: I think it's worth also saying you, sorry, Pete, you just brought up Alonso Lopez before that as well, didn't I think the first six rounds he missed as well and actually to still finish top eight second rookie, uh, watch out for him as well next year as you say. He's going to be on it. So Moto2's looking good next year. Well,
2: we better get that, some that's predictions. It. That ties in with what? Yeah, Keith was saying about Fenati as well because Lopez came in at Fanati's expense. So that's what. So Fanati was sort of parked by uh, by Speed Up, which caused a bit of controversy at the time. But you can't argue with the uh, Luca Boscoscuros for the for the talent picking side. Fabio Quattararo came through that team as well. Um, and and just on the other side of the, well, adding to the people who who have had a miserable end of the year. What about Vietti? You know, leading the World Championship. I mean, he crashed out again on Sunday. He's got a double long lap penalty. For the start of next year's season. So if he thought things couldn't get any worse and that he'd put it behind him, uh, he got black flagged and there was an issue with the uh, the marshals, I think disobeying the marshals. Something. So yeah, he's going into the winter knowing that he's got a double long lap for Portimao next year. Kind of a Christmas I mean, present. <laughs> what, 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 what,
0: yeah, maybe, he, maybe he'll hope race control might forget by the time it goes by <laughs> the time it comes to next year. I highly doubt it. Uh, we also say, I mean, we're, we're, we're still, I think we, I'm not sure if we've got a fully confirmed grid for next year yet, have we for Motor 2 motor 3 But we're, we're losing a couple of sort of well-known names. Cameron Bobier, obviously the American. Uh, he's off to uh, Pastures New. Well, We're going back to America, Moto America. So we wish him all the best, uh, wanting to uh, spend more time uh, at home and, and less time sort of traveling back and forth. So uh, uh, wishing him all the best. But at the, n- the end of the day, it was Augusto Fernandez uh, who is the new Moto2 champion. He moves up to MotoGP, of course. Aigura second, Aaron Canet in third, Tony Arbolino and Pedro Acosta, uh, the top five and the highest rookie just in front of Jake Dixon. And do you think uh, this was a bit of a breakthrough year, Keith, uh, for Jake?
1: It is what we expected him to be a podium man at the end of the day or there or thereabouts. You know, like Jake, Jake is a contender. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, looking at the way that the things go next year. I mean, we've got a We've got a few guys that are coming up. Sergio Garcia obviously moves up to Moto 2 from Moto 3. So that's going to be an interesting one. Darren Binder. Oh, yes, of course. Comes into Moto 2. He jumped Moto 2 from Moto 3 straight to Moto GP. So Darren Binder comes back into Moto 2. That, I think, with, with what he's learned in Moto GP, will translate really well into Moto 2. So I'm looking forward to seeing Darren Binder. I don't think he's been given a fair crack of the whip, to be honest. I don't think Darren Binder had a bad season in Moto GP, but he's been dropped and he moves into Moto 2. Uh, Marcus Ramirez goes from a forty; he's changed his lap by going from forty-two to twenty twenty-four as a number. <laughs> so, so <laughs> if in doubt, if in doubt, switch out. numbers. So, so that's quite interesting. Uh, Boya Gomez is out there. Lucas Tulovic is in there. Kadena is going to be there as well. Pedro Acosta actually, um, he's he's going to be thirty-seven. Obviously, this year, uh, next year, sorry, he's uh, he's another number changer, and he's going to be from fifty-one to thirty-seven. And Dennis Fodja, you mentioned him a moment ago comes up into Moto2 from Moto3. So there are quite a lot of subtle changes here and there. The grids are out. I can't see them changing substantially at all at the moment. So you asked the question about the grids. I've, I've got them in front of me. here. Yeah, I made a load of notes while I was down the pub, so I've got to check them now. <laughs> have
0: you got, have you got uh, glass mask uh, marks on them as well? The everything. I've got
1: insults on them. I can't <laughs> even put them to the screen because everybody's <laughs> written in and, and wrote bloody all sorts of things. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a kind of gentle one stop being a wanker Keith <laughs> thank you very much I That's mean, um, yeah, Bertie I mean, Simmons I think um yeah. happy birthday to aid there you go i don't know who the old i don't know what uh, i mean i must have been sat with a bloke called aid but it's happy birthday to aid so there you go a, a birthday, re- retrospective birthday wishes to you
2: but, but while, while we're doing uh while we're doing shout outs i should say i saw graham holt photographer uh he listens to the podcast at valencia so he came over he, he was agreeing with a lot of keith's opinions so Apart from that, he seemed like a very nice guy. Yeah,
0: (laughs) doesn't sound right. Yeah,
2: but um, uh, he was saying they're trying to get some more sort of people from more diverse backgrounds into motorsport media. That's what he was. uh, Yeah, he's hoping to get sort of a bit more awareness for that. Get get photographers, media into different teams and things. So he's looking for more backing for that. So I think. uh, click diversity is his website so anyone that can help him with that go and take a look he's got some students i think he's had placed in teams and things and uh, looking to do more on that next year i
1: think uh, i think mother gp i think that the dawner dawner do a fantastic job but get criticized in certain other areas and i think opening up a little bit more in the paddock i mean they've gone the other way a bit this year using the pandemic as a bit of an excuse for clamping down on more things and i think they could do with i hate to say this but how you know, Liberty have treated Formula One after they kicked Bernie out of the of the, the the driver's chair, you know, has worked really well for Formula One. They've found that angle where you know it, it ramped up for for young people to come and 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 you mentioned diversification. Of course, it's a big thing nowadays in the paddock. You know, I, I never thought it wasn't that diverse, but clearly I'm in a minority. There are areas that can be improved hugely, and I think Dorna Dorna definitely need to work on that area access. Access to people through social media, through through digital content and the like needs to be ramped up in our MotoGP package. You know, clamping down on uh, web journalism. I mean, this is one close to your heart here, Pete, because web journalism is considered to be like the third rate medium, which is just nuts because we know it's not I mean, not in the way that youngsters access information nowadays, and I think that that's where Dawn are, are looking at it in a kind of aged way, maybe, maybe somebody from Saga is running their digital medium, who the hell knows, but it, it, it definitely needs a change, a massive change really, actually it's not massive, it's a subtle change that's easy to implement, is to give better access to social media and digital platforms, <laughs> and that is the future. Give another five or t- five years maximum, I would say. Most people will be watching this stuff, not on TV. It'll all be on handheld. It'll be, you know, you'll be able to access it in, in a completely different way to the way that we are. Television is old hat. That's gone out the window. You know, it's only us old farts who go and watch it down the pub that, that, that kind of watch it on TV nowadays. Things have changed massively. And I think MotoGP are a bit behind the game. They need to just catch up on that a little bit. They need to get, you know, further ahead on, 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 on what's, what particularly uh you know web platforms your mate that you're talking about just there they need better access they need to be respected in the way that they should be respected in what they put out there because that is what you know a huge proportion of, of motorcycle fans are, are are watching or accessing the, the sport with
0: absolutely well check out that uh info as well that pete mentioned just a few moments ago but uh it, it's uh something that i think a lot of people would be agreeing with you there with keith um Now, I think we're getting towards the end of of this show, uh, but predictions um, are no more for the time being. But uh, I can reveal, out of our own little trio, who has won. Drum roll. Drum roll, please. uh, It was only uh, one point scored uh, from Valencia, with uh, Keith getting a point for Rins on the podium. Uh, Pete and, Pete and myself, nah, nada. Neil Poir, absolutely nothing. So, unfortunately for myself and Pete, well, so, okay, we're in a predicament here. So, I think we might have to have a tiebreaker. I'm last. So, I've got seven, but it's a respectable last. 17 (laughs) points. But, Keith and Pete, you're tied on 19. So, I don't know if we need some sort of um, tiebreaker or or I don't know. What do you think?
1: Who's got the biggest nose?
0: (laughs) Who's got the most hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Wow, no, I, I,
2: think, I think I think Keith should, I will hand my title over. I think oh, yeah. Keith is winning. Getting the final round. I think that. one no, I tell you what, overall... I'm, I'm
1: quite happy to have us cross the line together, mate. It's uh, it's all a bit of a laugh, anyway, isn't it? And to be honest. If we only got 19 points, we deserve a slap. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I'm, not, I'm not taking any credit for 19 points over yeah. an entire year. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there are people at home that have done a bloody sight better than we did. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I, we need I to buy someone it. a pint I, somewhere else rather than blow, smoke up our so. own kilt.
0: We should book. Out, we should book out that pub and do a, a, a MotoGP meet what, up. There
1: we go. I didn't tell you who who is the the landlord of this particular pub. He's Chris Herring, who used to be uh, PR for Honda, um, Petronas, uh, Circuit of Wales. We don't talk about that much. Um, and management at Fogarty's and so on and so forth. So Chris Herring is the landlord of the pub. So you can understand why it's got a fair MotoGP uh, uh, angle to it. But um, Stirrup Cup. Barton Seagrave Kettering, there you go, big plug. Um, you'll have a great oh, welcome yeah. and, and it's one of them pubs where there's like there's books on the shelves like Mo- moto GP books you can you can sit in there and you can have a pint you can read you' books you've not seen and stuff like that there's pictures on the wall. In fact, after I leave you today, I'm going to the Friday the thirteenth club lunch, which is every every week every month, sorry there's a Friday the 13th Club lunch which is full of... But it's all, the 11th. It's all the old hack journalists. I don't know what I'm doing there because I'm not a journalist. But, but basically, <laughs> there'll be everybody there today. Steve Parrish, Neil McKenzie, bloody... Because we've all moved into the journalistic role, if you like, to a certain extent. So I'm going to have to drag Pete along at some stage. And all it's about is how you can rip a new one in anybody that's next door to you. You know, it's, it's just like... It's just like everybody getting stuck in everyone else. And that's being held later on this afternoon.
0: Oh, delightful. Well, um, look, I think that just about does it. Here's what's happening for us, though, for the rest of the off-season. Sadly, this is probably our last show for November, uh, but we'll be back for a Christmas show (laughs) in December one in January and then back up to uh, four shows a week um, from February onwards. So actually, it's not too long to wait. Um, so, you know, let us know questions, any topics you want us to cover uh, and things like that, off-season chat that you'd uh, like to get involved with and uh, we'll see what we can come up with in the meantime. But I think uh, I'd say for both myself, Pete and Keith, thank you so much for, uh, for your company over the whole year. It, you know, we can't literally do this without you guys listening, watching, wherever you uh, listen and watch to us, whether you're subscribed to the Crash show uh, MotoGP YouTube channel where you can watch the whole show in vision or you're listening to us through Apple, Spotify, Google whatever, um, we really do love having your company and it's, it's a pleasure to share MotoGP with you throughout the year so uh, uh, my thanks to you all for listening and my thanks of course uh, to Keith Ewan and Pete McLaren, literally could not do it without them either um, so thank you both, uh, enjoy um, a little bit of time off enjoy the off season everybody, get your questions in leave them in the comments section, tweet, Instagram Facebook us, uh, just so crash motor gp all the usual ways leave us a review christmas review perhaps we'd love to hear them uh, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll see you uh, in december for a christmas special but from the holiday inn in toulon bye-bye
1: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states